to the second session of Financially Strong Latina. Last week was so powerful with Beatriz Acevedo, and today that inspiration will continue. Yes, you are here. Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a mixed language podcast hosted by me, Jen Hemphill, to help you become the reign of your money and love your dinero more. If you are needing some inspiration and encouragement at this very moment, you have come to the right place. Gracias por compartir este tiempo conmigo. Now let's jump in to today's Dose of Money Confidence. again for joining us today. It says a lot about you and your drive to be financially strong. I also want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, AARP, as this event wouldn't have been possible without their support. Welcome back, Veronica Segovia Bedon, our trusted and lovely MC. I am excited for today. Aren't you, Veronica? Yes, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm really excited that AARP is able to sponsor this and make this content available to Latinas nationwide for free. So uh, excited to get on with the show. Before we move on to today's panel, let's watch this message about one of my favorite tools from AARP called AARP Money Map. Unexpected medical, automotive, home, and other expenses can feel daunting. But when it rains, it doesn't have to pour. AARP Money Map is a free online tool that creates a step-by-step -step action plan to deal with an unexpected financial emergency. To get started, log on to aarp.org slash moneymap, answer a few simple questions, and Money Map puts you on a path to move forward with solutions like how to reduce interest costs and the amount you owe, or ways to give you more time to pay. You are not alone in this struggle and you deserve the right help. Money Map connects you with trusted local resources, credit counselors, nonprofits, and other programs so you can take control with confidence. When you face an unexpected challenge, the options can be overwhelming. Make the right choice by comparing your options from grants and free aid to reliable funding sources. Money Map walks you through the pros and cons so you can make the right decision for your immediate needs and your future. A surprise bill can make it feel like you have no time and no options. But with Money Map's easy to use tools, you can stay on top of the numbers, like calculating the impact on your retirement account. AARP Money Map is completely accessible at any time from your desktop, tablet, or phone. We know that stressful, unexpected expenses can happen to anyone. That's why AARP Money Map is 100% free and open to all ages. We can't predict an unplanned expense, but we can work together to ensure you stay on the track to financial stability. AARP Money Map is here to help. Personally, I am a huge fan of AARP Money Map as I find it such a needed resource. And let's face it, the unexpected just happens. Now let's get on to today's panel's discussion. Are you ready to introduce our speakers, Veronica? Thank you so much, Jen. I hope you all check out AARP's Money Map tool. Remember, it's free. It's available to anyone, whether you're an AARP member or not, and that you can save your plans in the tool, whether it's on your mobile device or on your computer. So I look forward to you all checking it out and letting us know what you think. 
let's get on with the show. Today's topic is getting clear and having a plan for your money. I'm going to introduce our speakers. Our first one, Amanda Abella, is an award-winning content creator, keynote speaker, and business coach who specializes in helping business owners activate their persuasion prowess so they can make more money. Amanda spent a decade as a financial writer and wrote content for companies like Wells Fargo, Discover, Credit Karma, Santander, and more. She's also partnered with companies like Capital One and TransUnion in financial education campaigns. She's also the Amazon bestselling author of Make Money Your Honey and has created a community of over 60,000 people across social media channels to help people make more money and live a more affluent life. Welcome, Amanda. Then we have Natalie Torres Haddad, a two-time TEDx speaker known for her talk, The Foreign Language of Financial Literacy and The Confidence Gap. She's an international award-winning author, educator, and bilingual podcast host of Financially Savvy in 20 Minutes. Her activities have been featured in Forbes as a trailblazer, LA Times, 60-second documentaries, and one of a few featured on TED.com for a financial literacy article. Some of her videos have received over a couple million views. A first-generation college graduate from Cal State Long Beach in finance and international business with a master's in public administration from Cal State University Northridge, she focuses on helping those students with debt to keep them working towards financial independence. She started investing in real estate at age 24 and began her career advocating for financial literacy and financial empowerment. She is definitely a financially strong Latina. Thank you so much for being with us, Natalie. And our next speaker or our third panelist is a proud Afro-Latina, Ada Rojas. She combines her background in advertising and public relations with her creativity to celebrate her Dominican roots and cultivate the Afro-Latina community at large. For the last 10 years, she's built a strong community of vecinas through her digital platform, allthingsada.com. No matter her business venture, Ada's mission remains the same, to inspire others and celebrate her roots while showing the world the power of her often overlooked community. Thank you so much for being with us, ladies. Let's get started. Jen, I'm gonna hand it over to you. I'm so excited to have you ladies, Amanda, Natalie, Ada. It's such a thrill just to have you here, to have this important discussion on Dinero. So welcome to Financially Strong Latina. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. We're going to start with your story. So Ada, let's start with you and tell us about your financial journey as a Latina and maybe the main lesson that you have learned along the way. So I come from a single family home of six. I'm a first generation Dominican American and also a first generation grad. So I'm experiencing Mm -hmm. a lot of firsts in my family. And also I sort of like the first person to really try to get a hold of their, you know, money situation and really learn the game and how everything works. And I've been heavily focusing on my financial journey specifically this year because I want to become a homeowner. So I've been blogging since 2009 and I've always shared all aspects of my life. But in the last year, I've really been focusing on sharing more of my financial journey because I wish that there's a lot of things that I'm learning that as soon as I get this information from the experts like you guys, I'm like, I wish I knew this sooner. And 
the girls that follow me are here to get more information about what I'm putting in my hair, this lipstick. Well, maybe let me give them this tidbit too about their credit or about saving or about budgeting or about stocks too. And so it's something that I'm starting to become really passionate about because it's so life-changing and it's such an honor to be able to amplify your work and your voices to my community so that hopefully the incredible things that I'm learning, they can learn too. And then we can all grow together and all get our money right together. I love that. And I love that you're doing that because you are joining us with, you're not in the personal finance space, but you're on this journey to buy a home and you're taking your community on that ride. And I really thank you for doing that because you're giving it, you're going above and beyond. You're serving your audience, but you're saying, Hey, I'm going through this journey, go along with me and let's learn together. So I appreciate that, Ada. Now, Amanda, let's go to you. Tell us about your journey as a Latina and maybe the main lesson you learned. Yeah, so I'm Cuban-American. My parents were born in Cuba. My grandparents came over. My parents were kids and they basically fled communism is what they did. So they'll be like, we're political refugees. (laughs) And I grew up in Miami, which is a community of political refugees. Now we have people from all over the world. I mean, we have Dominicans, Venezuelans, Colombians, everybody is in Miami. But when I was growing up, it was more predominantly Cuban. And I think the biggest lesson for me was I remember my parents saying things when I was a kid, like, listen, in the United States, you can get whatever you want and you can be prosperous and you can build and you can build wealth and really create something for yourself, but you're not getting anything for free. They don't even give you healthcare for free in this country. So get ready to work. (laughs) I remember that. And I feel like that's given me a lot of push and a lot of grit. Whenever I do a lot of interviews, because I've been blogging about money since 2010. And in the last three years or so, I've definitely been working a lot more with entrepreneurs. And whenever I'm being interviewed, they always ask me about, okay, well, where does that drive come from? Where does that grit come from? And I said, I think I have a different perspective than a lot of Americans do because I'm aware of what goes on in other countries. I know that there's an island 90 miles from the United States where people don't even have access to the internet like we do, or they can't start businesses like we do. And because I have that awareness, I think that's part of what pushes me to get up every day because I know what I have available to me here. Not that everything's perfect here. It's not. (laughs) But at least I know that I have opportunities here that I would not have in my family's home country. And I want to expand on that at a moment because this is a big reason why I'm doing Financially Strong Latina. But before I expand and go on on that tangent, Natalie, tell us about you, your financial journey as a Latina and the main lesson. I mean, so similar to many Latinas, we have our stories start from our parents, right? Sometimes it's the traumatic things that they encounter as well. I am an immigrant refugee from El Salvador. So the majority of my family fled during the Civil War. We came to this country with a scarcity mindset, and I am a first-generation college grad as well, and I am the first in my family to buy property. My first rental property, I was 24 when I bought it, bought and sold several after. I've been in the finance field for 20 years now. (laughs) My degrees are in finance and international business. Back then, all my classes were predominantly all male, and let alone, let alone, there was hardly any women, let alone there was hardly any people of color. And being from El Salvador, Central America, it's even a smaller group, you could say, from Los Angeles area. And I started to learn the difference of how people talk about money, how people talk about investing. And when you are surrounded by mostly men, 
that's something that I saw the difference in the need of being able to bring that back to my community. So in 2007, I started with Financial Savvy Latina, and eventually it became my first book, which was Financial Savvy in 20 Minutes. And it was really talking about all the students that I had incurred. I had about $40,000 in debt after grad school and having to deal with that shame and not being able to have the financial help that most students might have, having to learn how to get out of debt and to publicly say I'm dealing with depression. I unfortunately dealt with a lot of it that I was in an acute psychiatric hospital for a couple of days. I had my own business at the time and on profit as well and working full time. So being able to have employees under you, all these things that come about of like being a first time anything put a lot of pressure. But luckily, with years after help and all that came about, not just therapy, but talking about mental health, it really just allowed me to understand that our Latino community, Latinas in particular, need to talk about money, invest in money, and learn how to learn from our mistakes. That way they don't repeat the same things that we deal with, especially when it becomes a traumatic generational view. And I lived in other countries as well during college, and I saw the difference between what we have here as opposed to there. So I think that's one thing that I love being able to share those stories and say, we can do better. And what we can do is not only create that generational wealth, but understand that we could teach our parents. And all my content is bilingual for that reason, because Spanish is my first language. And being able to have that conversation with your tia, with your abuela is so important. So proud to be a part of an event like this. This is incredible. This is fantastic. And I wanted to expand that tangent because Amanda brought it up. She said something. I'm like, yes, yes. This is one of the reasons why I'm doing that is you each, of course, as humans, we have different experiences. But as Latinos, we may be recent immigrants. We may be first gen, second gen, or, or me, which I'm just a nominally, my dad's un gringo. I was born in Colombia. But that impacts our experience, our financial journey. If we're moving or immigrating to the country, how we see money based on the experiences we had in our native country, right? So I wanted to bring this because as Latinos, we can't approach finances the same to all Latinos in the same way, because we're all different. And so I wanted to bring these different voices like you see here with us today, Natalie, Amanda, Ada, because they had these rich experiences that you each can learn from. So I cannot wait to continue this conversation. So I'm going to move on. (laughs) Since this is called Financially Strong Latina, what does it mean to be financially strong? Let's take it with you, Amanda. For me, honestly, it's knowing that I can make money no matter what. I think I started as a financial writer. That was my first business. I did that for eight years. And it was great because it gave me a really foundational understanding of budgeting and credit and investing and those sorts of things. But I still always found myself kind of stuck and always just a little bit behind. And the light bulb moment went off that was like, you need to learn how to make money. (laughs) Not just go get a job, but make money. (laughs) So that's began more of my journey into entrepreneurship. A lot of what I talk about now is my journey from freelancer to CEO and how different that has been. And I will say that making that shift and waking up in the morning, like I'm about to make two massive investments in my business right now that of course have me a little bit nervous as it would have anybody nervous. But I know that I have a skill set that I can always fall back on. So I'm like, if I need money, I know how to get it. And that confidence in your voice is something we all need to have. And for you listening, continue watching the next session because this is what you need. Confidence will take you so far. Thank you for sharing, Amanda. Now, Ada, how about you? What does financially strong mean to you? 
being financially strong to me means just owning my wealth and owning just my money. I know how to make money. I'm really good at it. I've always been really good at it. But I just noticed as especially becoming a full-time entrepreneur that I wasn't necessarily always good at holding on to my money, making my money work for me. There are so many instances where I feel like I was living like gig to gig and I just got tired of that. And I felt like everything had to sort of come crumble in order for me to build myself back up. So I'm going through a light bulb moment right now as Amanda had in the past of like, wow, okay, so I'm really good at making money. What are the structures that I need to have in place so that this money can now work for me? What are the, instead of renting my apartment, I should own a multi-unit property, just educating myself on all of these things. And I think just being empowered, educating myself and being empowered in that education and knowing that knowledge is my superpower. So even I don't need to be an expert in every area, maybe find the things that excite me and the things that are a little bit more scary, you know, finding the experts to help me along with that. My accountant has been such a huge resource because he's not only an accountant, he's also a real estate investor. So he's been so helpful just along my journey and also surrounding myself with women like you who empower me to want to learn more. Thank you for sharing that. One thing that you said, Ada, that I want everyone to hear again, I don't have to be an expert in all things money. You said it a little different. I wanted you to take that in because you don't. I truly believe you need to have an understanding of things, but just because you're not an expert in money, what tends to happen is you don't feel like you're an expert. You don't feel like you know the money and then you don't do anything and that doesn't do you any good. So you don't have to be an expert. It's having that confidence, trusting your instincts, leaning on people, leaning on us like you're doing today and that will take you far. Now, Natalie, how about you? Financially strong, what does it mean to you? Oh, financially strong to me, it means that I have options and the people that I hire have options. And for me, that's been such a huge motivator because I'd look back and I'm like, wow, I've invested about a quarter million in my business all these years. And the people that I've hired, even today, I was like, I had at least three people that have their options and they have their opportunities. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we can empower ourselves with is knowing that we could be financially strong because not only do we choose the right financial moves and investments, but we help other people do the same. And for me, that's the biggest thing. You know, I came from Inglewood, California, where I grew up during the riots and everything, and and I was surrounded by poverty all the time. And I always thought, like, I want to be able to invest at least in my neighborhood and then so forth, because guess what? Our community really benefits from it. So it's having options for ourselves and those around us. And I look back, and it's been a beautiful journey. Not easy, definitely not easy, but I think that's the beauty and the hard things about owning your business and doing what you do. But having the money options is huge. I'd rather have money problems than broke problems. And when I hear people say the more money, more problem, like you definitely don't have money then because I always welcome those problems with more money than being broke and waiting for it to fall on my lap. Because as Latinas, we usually get paid less and understanding that we not only deserve it, but need to demand it as well. And bringing that Mm -hmm. forth allows us to not only create more wealth, but guess what? Create wealth for everybody else. That's what that financially strong means for me. (laughs) Love it. Options, giving you options. Love it. Now, in last session, I got to speak with Beatriz Acevedo, who is a powerhouse. And we discussed how as Latinos, as a community, we lack savings, but also in our culture, we tend to have that gratitude. Well, ¿Para qué necesitamos más si ya lo tenemos acá? 
you know, we have a roof over our head, we have food, why do we need more? So I'm curious what your thoughts are. How can we help the person that is with us today or other Latinos or help the person's family that they're wanting to help their family to really shift our mindset that it's okay to have more money. Los ricos no son nada malos. They're rich, they're not bad people. So how do we help them shift that mindset? Do you want to share with us, Natalie? Yeah, it really sat with me when you're just saying that because for me, a lot of people say, you look really confident when you talk about money and because that's your field. I'm like, I still have the same insecurities everyone else does, if not maybe more because when you have people rely on you, you just have that added on pressure. But what I've learned from my mentors, from amazing bosses, and really the women that I surround myself that are amazing business owners too, is not only asking for what you're worth, but understanding that you really built your credibility. You built the experience, the education, everything that comes with it. And it comes with time. And I used to not speak up about like, oh, this is what I did because I was told not to brag. And now I tell people brag as much as you can because in a proper way, right? Because that's how people know what you've done. And I had incredible mentors. They would always tell me, usually all men, and be like, you need to tell us when you accomplished this because how are we supposed to know you did that? Or if someone isn't your cheerleader or your ally, it's always going to be you rooting for yourself. And usually if you're the only female in your space, which I usually am and a person of color, I have to do that for myself. So confidence is never always there, but it comes with that space of it. And I think it really resonates to know that we can do that for other people and cheer them on as well as hopefully they would cheer us on as well. Absolutely. I know I struggled with that, especially when I became a business owner. Well, I'm comfortable. Why do I really need to do more or make more money? Or also, like you mentioned, sharing those wins. I struggle with that too, but we also need to understand that people want to celebrate with us. They are looking for some inspiration and us sharing our wins is not bragging. It's like you said, do it. I don't even want to say appropriately, but do it in a way that's just transparent and real. And I think in doing that, people just want inspiration. They want joy. They want hope in their lives. And that's what you're giving them. Now, Ada, let's shift to you. I know you're a manifestation. Did I say that word in English, right? Queen. (laughs) So how do we help our Latino community shift that mindset to be okay with building wealth, with having more money? The number one thing I can say is for sure identifying your money wounds. So sitting, taking time to talk to yourself or to even talk to a therapist about what triggers you when it comes to money. I know there was moments in my life where I'd be even scared to check my bank account because I knew it was going to be overdrafted or I knew that the money that I needed to be in the account wasn't there. And so identifying your money wounds, your triggers, why do you think it's a bad thing to have more money? Do you think it's going to make you greedy? Why do you think that way? I know a book that person helped me a lot was Jen Cisneros, You Are a Badass at Making Money. Mm-hmm. She talks about mindset a lot in that book and just really identifying those money wounds. And it's just, again, like recognizing those little thought patterns that creep up. And specifically when it comes to manifestations, a lot of us struggle with wanting more money because a lot of us don't feel that we're worthy of the money that we desire, of the money that we want to make, of the life that we want to live. And how do you live that life? You need to be making more money. And it's okay to say even out loud that you want to make more money. I know a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to be seen presumptuous or I don't want to be seen in this light Mm -hmm. because I want to make more money. I even had to have that conversation with myself because I know my why as to why I want to create generation and intergenerational wealth. I know my why as to why I want to have my two businesses. I want to be able to employ 
people. I want to be able to give opportunities to people in my community. I want to be able to bring money into my community. And how can I do that with more money? So just kind of getting to the really target of what are your money wounds? What's triggering you and starting from there? And then you can even start talking about manifestation because we can't start talking about manifesting more money if we're not identifying the things that even trigger us when it comes to money to begin with. Right. And I wanted to ask you two things. One, when you do go through this process, do you sit down and journal about it? How do you go through really identifying these money wounds? What do you do? They usually come up for me when I'm in a situation. So let's say maybe I'm talking to a friend and I try to talk money openly with my friends, especially friends in my industry, other entrepreneurs. And so let's say that they shared, oh, I just got a check for this amount of money. And if something triggers me when they say that amount, it's like, well, why are you triggered? Is it like, are you envious? Are you sad? Do you wish you can have that? Why do you feel like you can't manifest that same amount of money too? Like, any situation where money is kind of like the subject and something triggers me about the conversation or the experience, identifying that, journaling about it, talking about it with my therapist. My therapist has been the best investment I have ever made in myself and my business. She has been a huge asset for me recognizing my money wounds. And the reality is, is that a lot of my money wounds comes from my scarcity mindset because of generational poverty. You know, my family has literally for dozens of generations has just been in poverty. And so I understand that a lot of the work that I'm doing now, it's really hard because of these mindsets being passed down, but also recognizing that the work that I'm doing is not only going to heal myself, but it's going to heal seven generations before me and seven generations in front of me. So it's like continuing to do the work, even though it's hard, even though I hate it, even though it's not fun, but I have to remember my why. (laughs) And then with manifestation. Because I know when I came across that word years ago, and when I learned what it was, I'm like, whoa, that's a little too woo-woo for me. So for the person that's watching, they're like, um, no, thank you. Or I don't know about that. What would you say? What would you say? It's okay. Manifestation is not, I mean, it may be like what some people consider woo-woo, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like I'm middle grade woo-woo now. I'm not this side, or but I'm not the opposite side anymore. So what would you say to that person, Ada? Well, manifestation is such a beautiful thing because the whole premise of how it works is that you have to act as if those things are already yours. You have mm-hmm. to really create those feelings in your life now. So let's say that you want to manifest six figures this year. Instead of waiting for things to happen, you have to be an active participant in those things that you want to manifest. So what are you actually doing right now to help you with that goal? And are your feelings, are your actions mirroring that of someone who makes six figures? Are you waking up every single day as if it's already yours? Are you waking up every single day as if you're already making six figures? How does somebody that makes six figures wake up every single day? Do they wake up in the afternoon to start their work day? No, they're probably up at six o'clock in the morning working out to get their mind right, to get their body right, to get that clarity so that they can go into work and be productive and make the money that they have to make. So I know the manifestation part is a lot of woo-woo, but a lot of people forget to talk about the action items and the steps that you need to do in order to activate manifestation. So we have to remember it's not just thinking, but it's also doing. And did you want to say something? (laughs) Yeah. And that's what I love about panels because you're like, yes, that's the spark. And it's connecting with other like-minded people. And she said it's clear because a couple years ago, I've already had six-figure years, but a couple years ago, I was like, oh my God, I had my first six-figure month. And I was afraid to share that. And I I reached out to one of my girlfriends who's extremely successful 
had a conversation with her. And I'm like, should I even share that? Or, you know, it's nobody's business. And I believe that I'm still like, it's nobody's business. But I love how she said she's a black woman. And she was like, do it because people need to see that. Because even in my own head, I was like, did that really happen? When you start looking at everything and I'm like, did this really happen? And so it builds on that. And the fact that I'm a girl that was like, getting paid minimum wage at $1.8. And, you know, my big was like, oh, if I can make 50 grand a year, that's like, I'm made. That's something that I think is so important to be able to share that because we don't see it. First of all, representation matters. For me growing up, I never saw women and the very few definitely weren't Latina, definitely weren't just brown people, period. So I think it's so important to be able to reflect ourselves and say, you know what, I'm going to share something extremely vulnerable, but I know it's going to resonate with someone that needs to hear. And for me, the reason why I reached out to her, because she had done it too, prior and that and we were good friends and I said how did, did you have backlash were you afraid of that because there's always a haters tons of haters come and I had some for sure but you know what it was totally worth it and she said the same it's going to be worth it it's that one person that needs to hear it because I would have loved to heard yes. that back then absolutely right on thank on you. <laughs> absolutely Amanda I'm trying, get, I'm trying to get to seven figures now and I literally just hired a trainer and started waking up at 5 30 in the morning because I asked myself the same question I was like how would someone who's making a million dollar year act and I'm like they'd hire this person they'd outsource this they'd hire a trainer they'd be up at 5 30 in the morning so literally the last two weeks that's been my life so I'm glad that you brought that up oh you feel uh, good don't you feel yeah good? Yeah, already in it. It's already yours. Yeah, it's <laughs> already here, you know? And I want to echo what these two amazing women have said. And I also kind of woo, but I'm like woo grounded. And basically what that means is I'm super practical. So for me, mm-hmm. what helped me get over at first, initially, what helped me get over the whole, oh, I'm just okay, is that life costs money, <laughs> period. <laughs> And the things that I want to do are expensive. So I need to figure out how to pay for them. And to interrupt you, Dominicans say, a mi me gusta lo bueno, so hay que trabajar. Like, I like Yeah, Cubans say the same thing. <laughs> Cubans say the same thing. A mi me gusta lo bueno, yeah. So I think that was a part of it. But also I had this like really interesting experience where back when I was still struggling with making money, I was really good at managing it, but I wasn't good at earning it. I woke up one morning and I was having a lot of complications from like an orthodontic procedure I was getting done. And I basically needed oral surgery within 24 hours. And I remember that moment where like, I didn't have enough money in the emergency fund, even though I was really good at managing money, but I wasn't good at making it. So the fund wasn't very fat. Let's put it that way. And I had to go on a credit card and I was freaking out and there was so much shame. And a few years after that, I ended up needing another oral surgery done. And it was a completely different experience because at that point I was like, wait a minute, I just paid for this thing cash. I'm not worried about it. There's more money coming in. And I think sometimes people don't think about that, that even just like these practical life situations, I would rather have money. I would Mm -hmm. rather have more than enough money for when those things occur, because I have been in situations where those things occur and I'm broke and it's not fun. (laughs) So I've always been like more than enough. Now, I will say that at some point, that's not enough to keep someone motivated after your bills are paid and everything's good and you're doing well as a business owner. As you mentioned, Jen, you need something bigger. And that's where I'm going to echo 
what Natalie said earlier, where it's about, okay, well, it's not just about me. It's about what resources I'm gathering so I can help more people. And sometimes that looks like hiring people. I'm about to make another hire when we're done recording this and how that benefits their life and what they're able to do. But it's not just that. It's also like, okay, I'm paying this person. They're coming on. Now we can help even more people through our business where I'm going to spend this money on Facebook ads so I can reach more make more money, but also reach more people and have a bigger impact. So I think the first wake up call that people initially have is that they're tired of being broke and they're tired of being in situations where it's like, Oh, here comes an emergency and I'm broke. Like at some point it gets old. So I think that's the first wake up call. But then beyond that, there needs to be some sort of a purpose. There needs to be something bigger. There needs to be some sort of a vision. Why? the why that gets you out of bed and working and working hard. (laughs) Absolutely. And with the why we need to be super specific. So it's not like because of my kids. Okay. That's fantastic. I'm glad you love your kids, but what about your kids? What about getting out of that debt, that credit card debt? What does that mean? So you need to dig deeper as to what that why is. It may be, well, if I pay that credit card debt off, I'll get to take two trips a year. I'm making things up. But and maybe getting more specific as you get more specific with your why. And there's that saying of the why that makes you cry. That's when you nailed it, right? That's when you really nailed what that why is. So I'm glad you brought that up. Now that we've spoken about mindset. I want to talk about financial clarity, essentially knowing the money that's coming in, knowing the money that's going out and what you want to gain. So we talked a little bit about what do we want to achieve with our finances? What are some steps? And I'll start with you, Amanda. What are some steps that you have taken to gain that clarity, to know what you have, what's going out, what you want to achieve? Because sometimes I think we get in the rut of going to work or building our business, making money, paying the bills, and that's it. And then we get up again, (laughs) or go to work, or build our business, make some money, pay the bills, and then we repeat, but we don't have the goals, right? Right. (laughs) I'm fine, I've seen a lot. So what are some steps that you have taken to gain your financial clarity? It's so interesting that you asked me this question because I feel like I have to re-review this every couple of years as things change. So caveat, it will change. (laughs) It's all good. Yeah. So I think it still goes back to that why, right? So you mentioned traveling. I think for me, a really big one that number one caused me to make some changes in my personal finances, but also major changes in my business and how I make money is the fact that on the other side of this pandemic, I plan on purchasing lots of plane tickets and gallivanting all over the world. And I still need money coming in (laughs) while that is going on. That's a very clear vision. At the time that I created that a few years ago, I didn't know how I was supposed to make this happen. I just knew that that was the vision. And then the steps started presenting themselves. And it's very interesting because I've worked with a lot of financial experts in my business to help them with their business structures and sales. And it's so interesting how every single one of them asks their clients what that why is or what is it that actually matters to them. And I think sometimes we have a hard time answering this for ourselves because we've never really been given permission to express it. And the thing is that that's what holds the key to everything, including how you're going to manage your money. Yes, because you have to have that 
broad scope of view as to, okay, why am I doing this? And it's that motivator, right? It's that motivator to that pushes you forward. Love that. How about you, Natalie? So what are some steps that you've taken to get some financial clarity? For me, I like to think I'm an optimist and most people say I'm very optimistic, but I also, (laughs) I am by far the biggest pessimist. Like I think of the worst case scenario. And the reason why for me, I think it's, it's helpful is because that's kind of the frugal thinking you can say, but it's when I started investing right before the market crashed in 2007 and eight. And I saw what that did for me personally. That's part of the depression, part of all the other things I was dealing. I thought I was going to lose my home and property, like other seasoned people that were like twice, three times my age. And that was in my early twenties. I wasn't married then. And you know, you didn't have all these added on responsibilities. And so the fact that I remember how difficult that was, I think about what do I need now to never be in that position again? And so the emergency fund always is a must. There's certain things about how I plan my year. And we've been talking about pivoting too, especially within the type of economy that we're in. And so for me, I always think at least, and I'm that person, I plan five years in advance. I pivot quarterly. I have to check it, especially a lot of my travel had to stop last year from, you know, I travel to different parts of the country. And obviously if not everyone can go virtual. And that's something that I always think of, like, what do we need to do to implement, to pivot? I made a huge investment a couple months ago that I can't wait. I can't share yet, but those are things that I was already in positioning of doing, but it was like, oh, this is the trigger. I need to do it now because it's things that I had planned years in advance. So when people are looking at this thinking like, I have no money or I'm just starting out, or I barely have anything for a business, start now, even if you feel like you're not ready, because it will come. I've invested in things that I'm like, few thousand dollars here and there that did not actually work till years later. And I look back and I'm like, I saved literally, I could think of one particular investment. I was like, I saved about 150,000 because I bought it then. And things like that, that allow me to remind myself, oh, I've been preparing for it because someday it'll happen. And you know, sometimes it's, especially with depending what age you're in, but like your twenties and thirties, you want to be like, oh, I want to keep up with everyone around me. And me, I was already business savvy thinking about it. And I said, nope, if I have this and the best advice I got from my advisor mentor said, he's like, do in your twenties, what your thirties will thank you for doing your thirties, what your forties will thank you. And that meant doing everything exactly the opposite of people around me. And so that's how I always think of like, I might be the pessimist when it comes to my money. It's because I think about what's the worst case scenario and how I can make sure that I have a cushion, that I have options. And that way, in case that does happen, I'm okay because I've been there and I've been through all that difficultness and I don't ever want to go through that. And if I do, that's also part of the journey. So when someone's watching this thinking like they might be in bankruptcy, they might be losing everything that they, it's materialistic things. And there's things that we can do to help, but sharing our stories can help you say, you know what, you're not alone. And for me, that took me almost eight years to publicly tell people I was going through depression. I had to go to therapy and in our community, they don't talk about that stuff. No, Money. they don't. Thank you, Natalie. And Ada, how about you? What are some steps that you've taken uh, to gain that financial clarity for yourself? Um, For sure. The very first step that helped me the most was pivoting from a survival mindset to a thriving mindset. Mm. That alone was kind of like the catalyst for everything else. And I love this quote by Benjamin Franklin. He says, like, knowledge pays the best interest. And so starting to educate myself, whether it's just by simply reading that book, like you are a badass at making money. And then acknowledging the areas that I'm not an expert in, especially when it comes to my business. I was in survival mode for so long and just kind of living check to check and gig to gig that I didn't pay taxes. So I had back taxes and that accumulated over four years. And even there was a moment that I'm like, it was like my biggest secret. And I remember being in therapy sessions with my therapist and her saying, 
Like, your life looks so perfect, but like in your closet, there's a dirty pair of underwears on a hanger that nobody knows about, and it's your taxes. And it was literally so scary because of my scarcity mindset. And, you know, I found an amazing accountant, and that investment in my account, and let me tell you, because of the, I had to take responsibility for my actions and the things that I did not know that got me here. So instead of beating myself up about the things that I didn't know, I just took action. And so it was a huge investment to hire this accountant and fix my mess. But literally the same week that I made that investment, I made that money back threefold. And it was like, it's almost like the universe was patting me on the back. Like, yes, you're in the right direction. Do what you have to do. So don't be scared to invest in knowledge, whether you're investing it in yourself so that you can learn more or hiring that expert that has the years of experience and has the knowledge so that you can get the clarity. Because I cannot tell you how good I sleep at night now, knowing that those dirty underwear are no longer in my closet. The clarity, the peace of mind, the fact that I have a savings account. I started the beginning of 2020 with no savings account. And I ended the year with like a really nice, like four months of my living expenses saved up. And like, just that clarity, knowing that if anything were to happen, like I got me is priceless. Cause I remember there was a time where I was almost getting evicted out of my apartment in the Bronx because I didn't have that. So do what you have to do to get the clarity because I promise you will sleep better at night. You will be a better person because of it. Your health will be better. I can't say that enough. <laughs> and I want to just add on to that because I can't agree more. You mentioned the scarcity mindset and those that are watching right now may be thinking, but I'm a positive person. I have always been this positive, happy person, goofy, making everybody laugh. But yet 10 years, and I tell this story all the time, 10 years into my marriage, and I was this money savvy person, people were looking for me for advice. And when I went and did like a deep dive in our finances, my husband was deployed and I'm like, oh, it's time to redo the budget. We had just PCS or we had moved to a new place. And I'm like, what in the world? 10 years and nothing had really budged in terms of our progress. And I felt all this shame. I felt this guilt because Family members were asking me for advice. I had read personal finance books, yet we weren't in a bad position, but we were depleting our emergency savings all the time. We were borrowing for a 401k. We hadn't made much progress in paying off debt. And that was a wake up call. And that's when I'm like, what in the world am I doing wrong? Right? I'm supposed to be smart with money, but it was the mindset. And that's when it took me on the journey of looking into my past. What are some of my money memories? What was some of my upbringing? What impacted me that I'm still repeating today? And those were the thoughts of we can't afford it. We don't have that money. That was what had kept me stuck. And we need to really acknowledge those. We may be repeating that cycle of what we saw, what we heard, what we experienced in the past. And it is so critical. And I know I wrote about it in my book, Her Money Matters, but it's so critical to really acknowledge that so you can move forward because that may be keeping you back. When you lean into it, it's like you're rewarded. The more that you lean into your mess and you like learning, you're rewarded for it. And that feels so good. Like the fact that I'm sitting here on a panel with money experts and I am not a money expert. I just feel like it's just proof of me leaning into my mess and dedicating to be like, I'm going to dedicate myself to learn more about this, you know? Right. And you said something that I want to add on before we move on. You said, I am no money expert. And some people that are listening to this are thinking, yeah, I'm not a money expert, but remember you are the only expert in your finances is you. It's not us. It's not any money experts out there. So I want you to 
own that and embrace that because that's where confidence comes in. You have to embrace that the person that is the expert in your finances, the person that knows the most about your finances is you because you know your situation best. Okay. I get on a rant. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on. Now, Natalie, you wrote a book, as you mentioned, called Financially Savvy in 20 Minutes. What are some quick takeaways from your book that can help someone get financial clarity? Yes. It literally is something you can read in 20 minutes for that reason. Cause I knew people, not only just attention span, when it comes to money, they always feel overwhelmed. So the first thing I always tell people is take 20 minutes out of your day and learn something new, learn a new term, learn how you can implement it and learn something about your finances, right? Most people aren't financial literate. So being able to incorporate that, it's like learning a whole new language. I always say money's a foreign language if you didn't grow up around it, right? And the second thing would be get rid of that runaway spending. And what I talk about is just kind of like, we know it could be takeout, retail therapy, which is not true, right? <laughs> understanding that we all have some things that trigger us to spend more and understanding that those little... Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. A few dollars can turn into thousands of dollars that you're trickling away, or you can be using those few dollars here and there that will turn into thousands of dollars. And for me, I'd rather show people, and especially in my book, I talk about how your money can make money for you. And I think that's the best thing that we need to be taught. And the things that I put in my book were for that reason, because Runaway money is the number one way to get yourself more into debt and broke. And also understanding that there's interest, right? Compounding interest. I always say it's like, a, think about your money having babies and more babies and babies and babies. And it's like, that's how I want my money to always grow and expand. Because when we understand what compounding interest really is, it's not just the discipline that comes with it, but what investments we can make for ourselves. And keeping it simple, 20 minutes out of your day, you'll learn and be, eventually become fluent enough to feel comfortable and like you said, kind of build that confidence as you become that money expert for yourself. Awesome. Now, Amanda, you also wrote a book, Make Money Your Honey. The same question for you. What are some of the key takeaways that you'd like someone to, that are, is reading your book that would help us get financial clarity? I think there's two. The first one is start focusing on your income potential because there's only so much you can cut out of your life. But the amount of income you can make is infinite. And I think sometimes we focus too much on the expenses side of the equation and we don't focus enough on the making money side of the equation, which I know is what kept me stuck for many years. So I think that would be the first thing. And the second thing is personal finance is really personal, you know, and to Ada's point about her not being a financial expert, I just want to point out everybody on this panel started a career in finance because they were a mess with money. <laughs> so if you're a mess with money... <laughs> Look at what could happen to you. <laughs> so don't use that as like a way to shame yourself or make yourself feel bad because that's literally how we all ended up on this panel. You're in the right spot. <laughs> to that point, personal finance is really personal. Money is very personal. And I don't mean, oh, I don't talk about it because sometimes people will be like, oh, that's personal. I'm not going to talk about it. I don't mean that. We should definitely be talking about it and be more open about it. I'm talking more about what our values and our needs are. I think sometimes what happens in the financial space, and I know you all would agree with me on this, it's so prescriptive and it's so like one size fits all. And I remember watching Susie Orman and Dave Ramsey and all these guys. And I'm like, okay, that's great that you're telling people to invest in a 401k. But when like 70% of Latinos don't have access to a 401k, now we're talking something different, right? So it's so personal and you have to take your situation into account, but also you have to 
get clear on your values and your needs because that's different for every person. There are certain things that, yes, across the board, we should be doing this. We should be investing. We should be saving for emergencies. We should be paying our taxes. We should be paying down our consumer debt. That is true across the board. But aside from that, it's really personal because what matters to me may not matter to you and may not matter to this next person. So if someone's trying to give advice to me and talking to me as if I'm Jennifer, that's not going to work for me and I'm just going to want to rebel and vice versa. I think with personal finance, because it's so personal, there is this self-reflective piece of it in terms of how do I actually want to live or what matters to me or what do I want to put resources behind? And I think we really have to start asking ourselves those questions. And when we're clear on that, the management of money actually gets way easier because it doesn't feel as restrictive. Amanda, what you're saying, and I, we're all up on the same like-minded people. And I think that's something, it is personal and it's still within our cultures is still seen as this taboo subject. And for me, I make it a point to let people know this isn't a taboo subject. Let's make it something that we constantly talk about. And for me, my aha moment was years ago, sitting at brunch with my girlfriends and I was excited because I had just come back and met with my mentor and I was talking about money and, and they all looked at me like, eh, let's not talk about that. And then someone started talking about a lipstick. And I kid you not, every single person at the table pulled out the same lipstick, maybe in a different color. I didn't own it because I didn't know what it was. And it was like $20 for one lip gloss. And for me, I thought those $20, you could have made easily a hundred bucks in what I just told you right now. And it's something that was like, and it's that where I'm like, let's make this the conversation we have. So I no longer hear Latinas or women purely say, oh, we don't talk about that. Or when we get together, we don't do this. And this is what's beautiful about this event is let's make it that norm. Let's talk about these things that should be fun. And for me, I get excited when I talk about money, even if it is harmful and and personal and difficult. But it's that where I'm like, I want people to say, this is something we talk about almost every single day and make it this normal thing that we talk about. It's no longer that taboo. So right on, Amanda, I totally get it. (laughs) And I love that, that you said that, Natalie, because that's what gets me excited for everybody that has registered. I think that taboo, the idea that money's taboo, I think is shifting in our community. And that excites me like no other. I'm sure like it does you all. So thank you for bringing that up. Now, Ada, I know you shared with us that you're taking your community on a journey. Why was it important at this time of your life to publicly start talking about money? Because I just always think I want to be that voice for myself. Like if I was younger and I was following myself, would this trigger me to just change and really want to dive into this? Or like, would it trigger me to view things differently? And so I'm just constantly thinking about that. I'm constantly thinking about how can I bring value to my community? And if all this information is changing my life and bringing me value, why wouldn't I want to amplify that information and hopefully change people's lives and impact them in a more tangible way than, hey, this red lipstick looks amazing, but also a good credit score looks amazing. Also, (laughs) having peace of mind, knowing that you have an emergency savings account that feels just as good as buying your favorite lipstick and it's not having to sacrifice and give up one thing for the other but it's knowing that you can have both and I love that Amanda spoke on that because it's like you can have both but because of the way we grew up we feel like we don't even think that that's possible and it's a lie right thank you for sharing that now we have discussed financial strength we've discussed mindset we've discussed clarity let's talk about a little bit about planning our money 
the budget, el presupuesto. You know, everybody's favorite word. That is everybody's favorite word. I know. So what are some common misconceptions that you had before you really started budgeting? Because for a long time, I thought I was budgeting, but I really was just marking off off a checklist. So what were some common misconceptions that you had about budgeting and how has that changed? So let's start with you, Amanda. I don't know if I had any misconceptions because I just kind of dove right in at a young age when I realized I knew nothing about money and couldn't find a job. So I don't know if misconception is the right word for the beginning. I will say that now I'm at a different stage where like budgeting isn't really a thing. And let me be clear about what I mean by that. I am still putting money away into investments. I'm still saving for investment properties. I still put money away for emergency savings, but it's not so restrictive. I think when I was younger and I was still struggling to earn money, it was very like this percentage over here, this percentage over here, this percentage over here, that percentage over there. And it was very strict. I would want to rebel. And I always felt like I just couldn't catch up and get ahead. And now it's a little bit more loose, I think, because I'm more clear in who I am and what I value. And I know for some people, the checklist works, right? But for me, it's like, all right, save half your income. You could do whatever you want with the rest of it, as long as you're saving and investing half. So I have the budget, but I allow myself that room to play and enjoy some of my money as well. Right. So budgeting is not a cookie cutter approach either. So I want to make sure that that is clear. And Amanda hit on something that she budgets. She's got a budget, but it's more loose. And you have access to a training, a bonus training, especially if you signed up early, that I talk about pre-budgeting steps. And I also talk about stages because I know there's a lot of people that say, I don't have a budget, the anti-budget. But the reality is they do because they just systematized it. So I don't want you to, for those listening, I don't want you to hear, well, I can be an anti-budget. You can, but you have to do some work and some implementation and systematize your money to be able to do that. Now, okay. (laughs) I think it's also to the point that I was doing before that it's super personalized. Exactly. Right? Like the 60, 30, 20 may not work for you. Maybe zero sum budget works for you. Or maybe you do what I do, which is like, here's your goal every month. You could do whatever you want with the rest of it and have some fun. You know, I think it's also a personality thing. Some people need way more structure. Me, I tend to rebel against it. So Mm -hmm. knowing that about myself, I have to kind of put that bumper in place. So I know I'm actually going to execute and see it through. And you have to do it in a way that is sustainable. Because yep. if, if it's not sustainable, you're not going to do it. So now, Adam, how about you in terms of budgeting? Two things. The first one was that like I can't have nice things because of a budget. And it's like, that's not true. You can just budget for the nice things. Like it's not about completely like changing your life to a point that it's no fun because you're just thinking about this budget. So budgeting for my nice things, like my vacations or just a new couch that I want, whatever it is, but also knowing that I don't have to go check off the list. And it's more really about Mm -hmm. creating those habits so that they're second nature. So like every time I get paid, especially as an entrepreneur, you know, I don't necessarily have a fixed check. So thinking about the future and how can I make sure that I'm going to be good if there's a drought period, right? But also getting into the habit of paying myself first. So like the first thing that I do with any check that I get, I pay myself first. And so it's more about creating that habit and not necessarily every time you get paid, you have to deposit $1,000 into your savings account. No, it's like really focusing on that habit because I know how I am and then I'll beat myself up over the fact that I didn't 
pay myself exactly that amount that I said that I was going to make it a goal. And it's like, no, pat yourself on the back. The goal is to make a habit that you're always paying yourself and you're doing that. So shout out to you. (laughs) Absolutely. How about you, Natalie? Ladies, you just hit on that point, but I actually had two misconceptions starting out. And I hear this often, especially when I speak to a lot of recent graduates that I thought, and you hear it, oh, until I have make more money, I'll be able to get an account and be able to budget. And, you know, like budget is kind of like the word diet, like I'll be more disciplined. The truth is, if you don't know how to manage a dollar, you're not going to know how to manage thousands of dollars to come after. So the misconception I used to think, well, you have to have more money to be able to understand how money works and how to budget. And the second one I think was also understanding that sometimes the word budget sounds so restricting, like dieting. And I'm like a world without carbs. Well, hey, you know, <laughs> it's all about that balance. So for me, I think of money the same way where I'm like, I want to have balance where it's like, I prefer enjoying experiences, spending time with my family, travel. And so for me, it's finding a way that I can manage my money that I'm balanced enough to still enjoy life, but disciplined enough that I know that I need that amount of money to invest in something that I said I was going to invest within the next five months or the next five years. And so I think the misconception sometimes is like, you have to be militant and on being able to hit all those things. And what happens like anything is, you know, you'll binge and be like, no, later on, I'm like, I don't want to deal with that anymore. So for me, I think that's something I had to learn and understand that those two misconceptions are not really going to help me, but understand that I listen to what my money story is. I listen to the traumas behind that. And then my experiences have helped me to make those decisions when it comes to the word budget. For me, it's just healthy habits that I'm incorporating. So when people say budget, in my head, I'm like, those are just healthy habits I'm doing with my money. It's the same thing with our food and the way we look at life. And so for me, it's the balance that comes with them and being able to say, budgets are a good thing because it just means I'm making healthier money habits. <laughs> I love that. Now tell us, I'll just start with you, Natalie, in terms of budgeting in a nutshell, what does that look like for you? Because I know we already talked, this is not a cookie cutter approach. So I want to hear from each of you. What does budgeting look like for you? Yeah. Well, it's changed a lot too. I'm married. So for me, it's like budgeting is no longer just about me, right? It's about Mm -hmm. my significant other. And it's also about my elder parents. It's about what I want for my future children. And budgeting really just means me taking the time at least once a month. If I could do it every week, especially well, for your business, it's a little different, but we're talking more personal, is really keeping an eye on it. And every month, especially during a pandemic, being able to pivot. For me lately, sometimes it feels like every month I'm pivoting on something new because my clients are pivoting and being able to understand that it's just something that you kind of have to go with the flow, but I prepare. And for me, knowing that I have that routine, it's a date with myself. It's like my money date. You know, it's like, I know this is when I'm going to sit down and do my budget. This is when I'm going to make sure my bills are paid. This is when I'm going to have that conversation with my husband about, hey, how about this? Or, you know, do we have enough money for this project? We have construction going on. All these things that tend to play with our life choices, especially when it comes to our finances. And a lot of us are dealing with that generation where we're taking care of our elderly parents and also taking care of you know, our children. And so being able to find that balance is a consistent and ongoing thing that just you have to do it. You have to do it consistently. Right. And I think you also need to give yourself some grace when life doesn't go according to plan and the money didn't go according to plan. You maybe went out to eat more times than you wanted to, but just give yourself the grace. Now, Amanda, you've hinted about your budgeting. So tell us in a nutshell, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I think for me, like I do get a salary from my business. So I listen, when you get to a stage in your business where you are cutting yourself a paycheck every two weeks, like it's good. Because suddenly it went from the, so in the beginning, before I was doing that, it was inconsistent income. 
because I was in that gig economy, that freelance economy. So for that, I would have to split it up by percentages to make sure I was like doing things right. Like this percentage goes for taxes. This percentage goes for emergency savings. This percentage, now that I'm actually getting a paycheck from my company, it's a little bit different because I could just kind of like be more fixed with the numbers. So that's been a huge shift that has occurred for me over time. But it's kind of like I mentioned, I like to keep it as simple as possible. The more complicated I make it, the less likely I am to follow through. So for me, it's like I have this particular goal where I want to be able to save and invest half my income. When I say income, I mean my salary, not Mm -hmm. what's coming Mm -hmm. in from my business. I want to do that. Okay, what does that mean with how much money we need to bring in so I could pay myself more, maybe? Or what does that mean for how I'm going to spend my money every month? So every month when I get my paycheck, it's very simple. And I do the same thing in my business because they tend to kind of align around the same time. I just sit with it. I take my money off the top, what I'm keeping, and I do it for the business and I do it for myself personally. And then I go handle everybody else. And I think that's really important, especially with people who are dealing with debt. I know I've been in that situation where I would just like pay off all my debt, but then not leave myself with enough cash, (laughs) which is not a good idea (laughs) in case anybody's tried it. And I had to really learn for myself, like you come first. So I have a joke with my clients. I'm like, you have to pay yourself first. You have to show yourself that you are worthy of actually keeping the money that you make. Chase can wait. You have to take your money off the top first. Everybody else can wait. You'll figure it out. Absolutely. Ada, how about you? So I start off with like my long-term and short-term goals for the year. And then I kind of break them down by quarter and then by month. And then I go to my accountant with, this is what I want. Now you tell me what I need to do because you know, it's what I want and what I need to do are two different things. So kind of finding that middle ground between the both of us and then working backwards and going from there. And it's just been so helpful because having a game plan for so long, I operated without a game plan and I was making it work. But again, the peace of mind when you have an actual game plan and when you go off course, you know that you can come right back because there's an actual plan. It's so worth it. So having that incredible expert to help me, but also as I empower myself to be the expert of my own finances, as you guys have taught me today, has been really helpful. Love it. Now this year with the pandemic, we know it has disproportionately affected our Latino community. So what are some tips, some words of encouragement that you have for those watching right now and learning from you that maybe have been the ones that have been struggling financially? How about you, Amanda? Let's start with you. Yeah. So it's really interesting because this current crisis that we're going through, I think I approached it a little bit differently because I went through the previous crisis in 2008, Mm -hmm. 2009, 2010. And I was basically looking at it with 2020 vision, no pun intended, where I was like, okay, well, knowing what I know now, what would I have done back then during this crisis? Right. And it became very obvious to me that the world's going through a lot of changes and it's really uncomfortable change. But when I learned during the Great Recession is that was actually one of the greatest opportunities that people had to build wealth. And I will never forget this story where I was teaching English as a second language and there was a Venezuelan woman who was there and she was rolling in it. Like everybody in Miami struggling, this woman's rolling in it. She's got the nice car. She's got the jewelry. And I asked her, I was like, so what is it that you do? She goes, oh, well, my husband and I 
own a landscaping company. And we basically do all the landscaping for the foreclosed properties that they have to maintain. And in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, all she did was solve one of the problems that this crisis has created. And suddenly here comes all the money. Right. So even though things are looking really crazy right now, and we're not going to really know what's going on, and we're still in this for the long haul, and the world has changed forever, usually when these things happen, if you look at history, these are the perfect moments for massive opportunities to build your wealth. And the key is that you have to find a problem to solve. And the bigger the problem, the bigger the payout. (laughs) I love that. Thank you. Ada, how about you? I would have to say that usually I was reading somewhere that this time kind of makes the most millionaires. It was like a study done on all the hard times that the country has gone through and the amount of millionaires that were created in those times. And I was so fascinated by it. And I think a lot of us get scared because when we go through hard times, you know, it's hard. But also I think those moments of isolation or those moments when you're down are perfect opportunities for you to really go inward and be like, okay, what can I do? Right. So whether it's solve a problem, whether it's educate yourself, like one of the things that I actually did this weekend is I invested in a stock market course, like a beginner stock market course, because I'm understanding that there's a transfer of wealth happening right now. So I want to take advantage of that. So I want to start investing. I want to start investing in the stock market. And it completely, I mean, it was a two day course. It was a lot. It's like learning a new language, but it completely shifted my mindset and the way that I see things. And I feel like a maniac now because all I want to do is like look at stocks as soon as I wake up, go to bed, like read about this, read about that. And so what, take this moment for what it is and use this time wisely to look at what can you do? What can you work on? How can you elevate yourself? How can you level up? Don't stay down because the country's not going to stay down for long, right? Yes, yes. I love it. And I love how excited you are about investing. Love hearing that. How about you, Natalie? I think a similar story too with uh, Amanda is that when you see the recession, like for me, I still remember the recession, how it affected not just myself personally, but the people around me and that we're still not even in the grits of it yet. For me, what I learned there, which I'm applying now, and it's been a completely different experience is I'm prepared. I'm prepared now that I wasn't then. And for me, that's what I love doing when when I'm teaching and why I do this and why I've been doing it for now almost two decades is because I'll tell people, it's like, hey, a storm's coming. I'm going to make sure you got your rain boots, you got your backpack and you got your umbrella and a lot lot of cash in that backpack. And for me, knowing that I see it coming before other people... Most people don't understand that, that you can't actually time when the market's going to crash and all that. No one can actually be the predictor to really figure out. But there's a lot of signs, a lot of things that have happened. And less than two years ago, I sold an investment and people are like, you're crazy. Times are good. And I'm like, you're not paying attention to the market. I've been studying the market now for 20 years. And I'm like, it's going to turn. And this was even pre-pandemic. And we were people that are constantly talking. I talk to my mentors all the time. They're like, oh yeah, the session's going to hit. Um, yep. This was pandemic. And when I sold that, I look now and I'm like, thank goodness I did. And just like Ala just said, and it's true, we make more money in times of recession and being able to teach other people to do the same, especially within our communities. Those that are watching me, obviously everyone's inclusive in this call, but Mm -hmm. for brown and black communities, we're the ones that usually have to deal with evictions and foreclosures and because unfortunately lack of management of money and predator lending. And for me also language, right? We become translators for our family members and friends. And so we're the ones who get taken advantage. And for me now, it's been such a huge blessing to be able to be able to do that. 
in both languages because I'm like, hey, I'm telling you what to look out for. And people sometimes don't want to hear like Chicken Little, but guess what? Chicken Little was right. <laughs> so for me, I don't mind having that name sometimes when people tell me, and it's because they come back and be like, thank you so much. You saved me from losing my home. You saved me from losing everything that I've worked at decades. And I think that's the something the most heartfelt thing that I see is young people, they have time with them. Older people, they don't. You run out of time, that's it. What do you do? And so right now during this time, if someone's watching this thinking, what do I do next? It's okay. This is part of your learning experience. This is something that you're connecting with people that are going to help you get through it and ask the right people, the right questions, the ones that have actually gone through it and know what they're talking about because that's what's going to help you save you. And for me, I always say, don't worry, I'm gonna get your backpack, your umbrella and your rain boots, because when that storm comes, you're going to take cover and you'll have what you need to get past through that storm because it all happens. It's all a cycle. And that's part of understanding yeah. the market. Yeah. I want to add to that. Cause I also made some big changes. Cause I was like, Oh, we are overdue for a crisis. So I, I was going to add, say what Natalie just mentioned is that these things are cyclical. And to Ada's point, it's kind of like, we're like, let's say it's kind of like a wave. We're like in this stage right now. And this is the stage where you can really learn. And the ones that learn here are the ones that earn on the way up. And when you start getting more accustomed to these things, kind of like Natalie said, I also made massive changes. I moved to bring down my expenses about a year before the pandemic happened because I was just like, I got a feeling. <laughs> Something's coming. We are overdue. <laughs> So that was one of the things that I completely shifted my whole business model in anticipation of something's coming, we're overdue. And to Natalie's point, like you can't time it exactly, but they're cyclical. Like, you know, every seven to 10 years, something's going to happen. Right. So Absolutely. it's keeping that in mind and preparing and planning for it over time. And if it, this is the first time you're learning that, okay, the last recession is the first time I learned it. So you'll be better prepared for the next one. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my goodness. I could not have asked for better panelists. So we're going to wrap it up. I wish we had time to talk more. So I wanted to end with, with some parting words for the people watching right now. The what are some parting words for them to be financially strong in their day-to-day -day finances? I know you gave a ton of tips. So let's start with you, Ada. I will say that the confidence that I have now in my business and personally really stems from working on my finances. And I cannot tell you guys how my life has shifted once I really dove in there and took my power back for my money because so long money has the power over me and now I have the power over my money. So please, if you take anything from this is that the reward that's waiting for you on the other side is even more tangible than just the money. It's not just the money. It's the confidence of you owning your money and knowing that you have the power to really manifest and create nothing. And I want that for you. So please continue to watch the rest of the events that Jen has planned for you. These spaces are so important for people like us because we don't have access to this. So please, the confidence that's waiting for you on the other side, once you master your money is everything that you can imagine and some. <laughs> Right. Our confidence, as I like to say, become the reina of your money. Love that. Now, Amanda, how about you? I would say one thing that's been super important for me is just being in the right environments. This mm. is so important to your money because when you are progressing on your financial path, sometimes the people around you 
are not going to be very supportive about it. That is a very common thing that occurs. So making sure to proactively put yourself in communities and environments that are having positive conversations about money, that are telling you that you can do better, that are educational spaces like this. I have a free Facebook group. I'm sure the ladies here have stuff that you can follow them on. There's so many resources now available on the internet where you can intentionally put yourself in those environments because when you're trying to fix your finances or just make it to the next level financially, that is so, so important. And I would add a little something to that. Get in spaces with people who are further ahead than you. Because if you're in spaces with people who are on your same level, you're not going to push. Everybody's going to get comfortable. Everybody's going to fall down to the average. So put yourself in spaces where people are ahead of you and you can learn from them. Beautiful. Natalie, how about you? I say it all the time and I somehow always get emotional, but you are your ancestors' wildest dreams come true. I got that message so much from my grandmas. Both my abuelas have passed um, a couple years now. And the fact that the opportunities we have right now, materialistic things come and go. But looking back at like even their stories, you know, very little education, very little opportunities. And back then women weren't making the financial decisions we're making now. Being able to buy property. I mean, 1970 was the first time a woman can buy a property on her own. And the strides that we see representation events like this, I think that's something that's really crucial. And knowing that we will make the generations to come wiser and financially stronger for that reason. I think understanding that we are our ancestors' wildest dreams. And if you have your health, you have your wealth. And I've lost mm-hmm. a lot of loved ones, family members through because of COVID. And every day I'm thankful, just another day. And you just never know. And so knowing that you are in the right position, whether you have no money in the bank or a lot of money in the bank, you can only grow from that and being understand that you'll make it better decisions as you move along. And guess what? The next generation will thank you for it too. Oh my goodness. This has been so amazing. I want to thank each of you. I talk when I get excited, I talk and it's a miracle that I didn't knock over my mic, but thank you so much for all the knowledge, all your wisdom, your leadership, the space that you take in our Latino community. I appreciate each one of you. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. Wow. Veronica, that was pure magic. I mean, I know what they said, but still just listening, it just... I don't know about you, Veronica, what did you think of this chat? Yeah, I mean, both nights I have taken pages and pages and pages of notes. There's so much here that I am just so, I'm happy we ended on Natalie's note around gratitude. Yes, I would say I'm my ancestors' wildest dreams come true. I'd say I'm my mom's wildest dreams come true too. I have chills thinking about all the things that Ada, Amanda, Natalie, and you, Jen, have shared I'm so grateful to be here with you all. I'm grateful for the privilege of having the opportunity to sponsor and help support you, Jen, curate events like this. I just wanted to touch on what Amanda was saying about surrounding ourselves and the importance of communities like this, the importance of having people around you who empower you to feel like you have the choice to choose how you live as you age and there's a program that I'm doing as a mom to get well just fit, healthy, confident. And there's 
this way that we look at our support system and it's putting people in categories of no entry, necessary entry and open entry. And I think that's important and can be applied here, like on anyone's financial journey. You know, there are some people who will drag us down. I'm seeing it in the comments, people talking about haters, right? There are people who thrive off of proving those people wrong, but that doesn't mean you have to let them into your spaces. You don't have to bring that energy with you. The necessary entry are those people who we have to be around, whether we like it or not. It might be your boss. It might be someone in your family. You can keep an emotional distance. So emotional awareness, what I'm hearing everybody talk about, I aspire to that so much. Like being able to recognize how I'm feeling when I'm feeling it is a big deal, especially when it comes to money. Being in a moment and being aware of a trigger, wow. And then there's that open entry that I can have with all of you because uh, you're all coming from a space of really love and, and motivation. I can hear it in your voices when you're talking. So I'm really, really excited to be here. Giving ourselves grace is huge. I think that's one of my big takeaways. I'm writing down here as somebody who has debt. Like, how do I get to the place where I am actually saving and investing 50% of what I'm bringing home? Oh, I would love to do that. And just hearing all the honesty come through. I am so grateful to all of you. And I'm really excited to get to the questions because the chat has been on fire. Yeah, so let's get to it. And just to add on really quick, because I know we don't have much time for questions. And just to touch upon what something that you said, Veronica, about community. Notice as we spoke we were supportive. This is something that you watching can have. Surround yourself with like-minded individuals and you can have these amazing discussions, especially if they are striving for the same thing. We were able to support, uplift, and learn from each other. So I just want you to take that in for what it's worth. So let's just go ahead and get into the questions. One of the questions comes from Len, and she wants suggestions on budgeting. We did talk about budgeting. So what are some, maybe your one, your top suggestion for someone that maybe is just getting started? Who wants to take it away? I'll take it. Awesome. So what I would say, Lynn, is I know when I was just getting started, I basically experimented with a bunch of different budgets, and then I found what actually worked for me. Because as we found, it's not a one-size-fits-all, and we all have different personalities. We have to take that into account so we actually execute on the budget. That's what I did. I tried them all. I tried the 50-30-20. I tried the zero-sum, and I just kind of got a feel for them, and then I was able to kind of figure out, okay, this is one that feels good to me. And this is one I'm actually going to stick to and I'm going to execute. So sometimes you just have to try different things and experiment with it. And then you'll find your answer. Anybody else want to add to that? Sure, Natalie. Definitely make it fun for yourself. For me, when I budget, it's basically a date with myself. So having that time for yourself and saying, you know what, every week, maybe it's a Sunday, Monday, depending when you're doing this, schedule an hour or however long it takes you to go through your bills, your expenses, your goals, and just it's a date with yourself and then treat yourself afterwards. So for me, it's like, I like to have a bath afterwards or a nice little dessert. And so for me, I look forward to it and I make it like a spa-like environment, you know, putting candles, doing the essence, whatever puts you in a good mood, because if you're going to go into the word, like I always think of the diet when I think of budget. For me, I think a budget is option. So for me, I'm like, oh, it's my option time. It's my date with my money. So making sure you take the time to do that. And just like Amanda said, you play around with different things. 
And did you want to add anything, Hada? I would just like to say that I also, I love that idea of making it like a date. So I also do it kind of in tangent with my vision board. And it excites me because I'm like, okay, I plan my budget so I can manifest all these amazing things that I want. And it just kind of gives me that motivation and energy to do it. And I would just add, don't be afraid to tweak it and make it your own. This is personal finance. (laughs) Do what makes it work for you. Another question that I have here is from Nancy. And Nancy asks, how can someone who is just an employee and not in the position to take risks to be their own boss and a single mom increase wealth? Sure, I'll start with that one. Many of us started off as employees. So having that mentality that you know your paycheck is coming from somewhere else, learn how to figure out the discipline that you have. So your budgeting is going to be one area. Another is how are you going to start investing? Look at what your debt is, right? So do you have any debt? If you don't have any debt, where can you actually start using some of that money? And as you heard earlier, I talked about runaway spending. Maybe some of these areas that you used to spend money in, you start putting it towards investment. So if you're an employee, have you contributed to your retirement account? Your employer will help you with that, right? That's something of benefit you can use. And also talk to other people that are professionals in your field, because maybe you're not getting paid as much as you should be. How do you negotiate that? How do you actually make your, as an employee, more of an asset to the company? So maybe taking on an extra class so they can pay you more. So then you can, at the end, always be at the top of your game. So there's different ways, especially as a single mom, there's groups out there that can help you with that and being connected with Jen, this is the best way to do that. Absolutely. Anybody else? I would say as an entrepreneur, I became an entrepreneur doing things at my nine to five. And I feel like I learned so much about being an entrepreneur because of my nine to five. And so find out something that you're really good at that you can just do as a side hustle outside of work. For example, my best friend, same situation, single mom, two kids, and she has a nine to five and I needed some help in my business. And she's very organized. And I'm like, have you heard of virtual assisting? This is something that you can make a career out of it. To make a long story short, she still has her nine to five. She was able to buy a house. She's closing on her house soon. And she started a new business as virtual assisting and project management. And that just came out of me just telling her, hey, you're really good at organizing. I need some help. Do you want to help me? I'll pay you. And then look what she's doing now. So it's definitely possible if you just kind of start thinking outside of the box. Love it. Amanda? Yeah, I want to add to that. I had a nine to five for a while as well. And then I also wanted like, acknowledge the fact that someone talked about being an employee because I think sometimes in the personal finance spaces since we all work for ourselves and we talk about entrepreneurship and all these kinds of things and the reality is like not everybody needs to be an entrepreneur (laughs) we decided to be entrepreneurs not everybody needs to do it and you can build wealth as an employee and these women brought up great ways of doing that. But I also started as an employee and I had to learn how to manage that money and budget that money. And I was not making very much. I was making like $22,000 a year. Okay. <laughs> Cause when you're a recruiter during a recession, you're not making a whole lot of money. Those commission checks are not coming in <laughs> when you're a recruiter during a recession. So it's learning how to manage what you have. I think Natalie mentioned that in the panel where it's like, if you can't manage a dollar, there's no way you're going to manage thousands of dollars. So even if you are an employee, there's nothing wrong with that. I feel like sometimes people hear all the entrepreneurs and they're like, oh man, but I'm just an employee. And it's like, no, you should be happy about it. You're an employee. (laughs) You're getting so much training on the job. You know, you have a paycheck coming in every two weeks, so you don't deal with the risk that we're dealing with for example, all the time. And then you're able to manage that money. 
I just wanted to acknowledge you for asking that really good question. Love it. Now I'm going to condense two questions because they're about the same thing in terms of finding an accountant, a business coach, therapist for new Latina business owners. Maybe do you have some great resources or tips on finding those people to help you? I would say word of mouth ask your peers, ask your friends. Most of the people that I work with and the service professionals came through by word of mouth. My account whom I love was referred to me by an amazing friend of mine. And he helped her when she was in a pickle. And I was like, well, if he helped you through that, I'm sure he can help me. And now I've referred him to so many people. So don't be afraid to tap into your own resources and just ask around. Referrals for me personally are the best, especially when they come from somebody that you trust, like someone in your circle. Anyone else? I would echo that referrals, referrals, referrals. And also when I brought up the point about communities, my latest employee came from a networking group or my accountant, I met him at a conference that we all used to go to. So if you get in different environments, you'll find really good people. And I will say the SBA is such a great resource that is not used enough by small business owners and future entrepreneurs. They have a bunch of online classes right now on how to start your business plan, how to do social media marketing, and it's all free and it's all on their website. And you tap into your local SBA, get in there, connect with people, network resources. It's free. (laughs) Absolutely. Did you want to add something, Natalie? Yeah. And and actually, if you're getting referrals too, look at their site, look at what they have had as reviews. So when it comes to like CPAs, therapists, I'm about not just referrals, but looking at what people are reviewing on them. So looking for the best qualified person, especially if they're going to be handling your money. I will always ask, are you a CPA, right? There's different types of accountants out there that are not accountants, they're bookkeepers. So it's very different concept. And for me, it's like, I'd rather pay more knowing they're going to handle my money better. So um, not just the referrals, but look at the reviews and what people are saying about them too, because that's really going to add to your, especially with the therapist too. You try out different people. Your first therapist isn't the best. I've been with many different therapists and the one I love the most because I've been with them for many years and it's just trying out. So same thing goes with any other profession. If you're not feeling comfortable or trustworthy with these people, then maybe you shouldn't be doing business with them. Right. No, absolutely. And trust yourself, trust your gut, trust your instincts. Now we have more questions, but we have to wrap it up. So I'm going to ask one question and it'll be a rapid fire. Really, it's not, but we're going to make it rapid fire. And it's if someone has $10,000 to invest, what type of investments would you recommend? So I'll take this one first. (laughs) People usually ask that question because they're like, oh, where do I put this money? Because they're like, I got all this extra money. What do I do with it? And I understand that anxiety and I understand that angst personally. I would first actually start by taking classes on different kinds of investment Mm -hmm. assets because there's different ways to invest. And again, not one size fits all. So for me, I remember spending a couple grand on a stock investing class and I learned that I really hate stock investing. I don't enjoy it. I'm not going to do it. But then that gave me clarity to be like, okay, real estate makes more sense for me. So that's what I'm going to plan for. And that's what I'm going to move toward. Love it. Anyone else? I love that this platform is offering so much education so that you can find what works for you. So continue to be here. Stay tuned for next week and take notes and find out out of all the information that you learned from this, what would you like further education on so that you can find out what works for you and where you want to invest. 
Yeah. And take the time to maybe actually, if you have 10,000, it all depends what your background is, whether you have debt or not, if you could diversify. So, right, maybe a stock market here, there a little bit, maybe you are going to be saving for treasure investment. And then also trying to figure out what in the long term, right? So we have short term and long term goals, maybe something short term that you can invest in now. And then something that's going to be a long term thing. So if you have 10,000, good job for you, because that means you're ahead of the game as most. So just try to figure out where you fit best and what you like the most. And next week, we're going to be talking about investing. So we can ask that question and see what our panelists say next week. But we're going to be wrapping it up. And don't worry, the rest of the questions, that's what the pop-up group is for. We will continue answering those questions. Please give some love to our speakers, to Amanda, to Natalie, to Ada. Give some love in the comments and throw your best emoji and gifts to AARP because they are our sponsor and they have made this happen. Now, before we wrap it up, I want to make sure I want you to do something. This is not just get inspired, get excited. This is about taking some action. So I want you to identify three actions that you're going to take to gain clarity on your money. So again, that's identifying three actions that you're going to take in gaining clarity with your money. I appreciate each and every one of you for showing up today, for investing the time in you, investing the time in becoming financially strong and being surrounded by all these amazing people that have showed up today. Veronica, did you have anything else to say for today? I just want to thank everyone. And I really, really want to thank Natalie for giving us this nugget that I wrote down and I wanted to mention it earlier. But thinking about therapy as the greatest investment in yourself, yes, I just really love that you shared that. I will 100% agree that that's a big deal and that it is super helpful in any area of life, but especially when it comes to our money, right, is having clarity. So I really appreciated that nugget. And I meant to give you a shout out earlier. Thanks so much to you, Jen. Thank you so much, Amanda, Ada, and Natalie for being here. And to everybody who's tuned in and stayed on and just thrown in advice as well in the chat. That chat is on fire in the group. So really, really excited. And I'm looking forward to next week and getting together with everyone again. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Que tengas una buena noche and we'll see you next week. Ciao.